Just a note, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of San Jose State University, nor the School of Social Work. This podcast aims to have authentic conversations and comprehensive discussions about the topic at hand, and does not intend to malign, slander, or to be disrespectful to any person, place, religion, community, or organization. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we wanted to talk about what it means to take care of yourself in social work. I know for both me and Jess, we're so passionate about the work we do, as most social workers are, and we talk about that later in the episode, too. But it makes it really hard for us to prioritize ourselves over our clients. So something that we wanted to explore is what a supportive workplace looks like, something that helps you take care of yourself so you can keep doing the work that you're doing. So that's why we have a very special guest joining us. This is Jen. Jen, if you want to please give a brief introduction about yourself. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. This is such an important topic and I'm excited to talk more about it. Um, So as Tanvi said, my name is Jen. I am an LCSW. I've been working in the field for about 15 years. Uh, I've worked in a multitude of different agencies. I've worked with, started my career working with uh, youth and young adults who were on the spectrum, uh, doing behavioral work with them and their families. Uh, And then I moved into foster care, worked there for several years before going on to acute mental health, um, which is really, I have a lot of passions, but that's a, a huge passion of mine. Uh, working in a, in a psych hospital, doing uh, inpatient work, as well as managing an outpatient intensive clinic. Um, and now I've kind of refocused myself uh, and I'm working again, just solely in uh, acute outpatient mental health. Thank you so much for sharing just a little bit about your background, Jen. I mean, I just, I'm so impressed. There's so many different things that you've accomplished and been a part of. And each one of those sounds like it has its own challenges. So it's great that you um, are really showing us that you can have such a a broad range of possibilities, right, in this field. Um, And I think sometimes that's a big thing is we can get kind of tunnel vision into this is what I want the goal to be and this is where I want to be instead of that process. And I'm sure you've learned a lot in each one that has helped you into the next step. So thank you again for your introduction. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a a wonderful thing about our field, too, is that there are so many possibilities that we can funnel ourselves into. And for the longest time, I thought all I wanted to do was work in foster care. And I got very burnt out doing that. Um, But I'm very happy where I am. and, And that's the wonderful thing about our work. Yeah, so that actually brings up a really great question that I have for you, just to jump right in. Um, Since you have been a part of so many organizations, um, you know, thinking about the way that your organizations may support you or that you may find joy in certain ones over others, what are some green flags that you look for in an organization? So, um, you know, those indicators of organizations being supportive, um, not just the employees and staff, but also the um, populations that you serve? Absolutely. That's a great question. I think there's a lot of things that make a supportive work environment and really help to 
keep our cups full as social workers because we do give so much to our clients. Um, and as Tanvi said in the beginning, it's it's difficult to to give ourselves nearly as much as we give our clients. So it's so important for agencies to be set up to take care of their staff so that we can take care of our clients. So some of those green flags to answer your question, um, I think really transparency is a big one. And for supervisors and, and agencies as a whole to really practice what they preach, if you will, um, keep their word to their staff, and that really helps to, to build overall trust, which is so important between uh, leadership and an agency and you know direct line staff or social workers, therapists. Uh, I think respect is huge and appreciation. And appreciation is different for different people and looks differently. Uh, so really having leadership that recognizes that it's not one shoe fits all when it comes to appreciation and really valuing the work that we do as social workers and showing us that. And not just once a year in a, in a holiday party or something like that, but on a day-to-day -day basis, showing up for your staff. Um, part of that uh, is really workload balance. And I know we talk a lot about that in school and throughout our careers, and it seems like sometimes it's this unobtainable thing. And sometimes workload balance is going to be uh, imbalanced, if you will, and that's okay. I think what's important is that agencies and management recognizes that and are moving to take steps to fix the issue. That's what's really important. It's never going to be perfect, but as long as management sees where the the issues lie and they care about their team and supporting them, then that's going to go a really long way. Yeah, that's a great point. Just, I mean, what I'm hearing is that you're saying there's just not this larger picture of what it looks like to appreciate your employees and staff, but it's the, on the day-to-day -day basis, right? So it's the day-to-day -day respect, it's the day-to-day -day management and, um, it's that, I think that connection uh, on the daily, it's more motivating to work under an organization or agency that uh, shows up for you that frequently. Um, yes. You just build so much more rapport, you know, and if this person, I see this organization is working for the betterment of myself, I know that I'm going to be putting in to be better for the organization. So kind of re the recipro reciprocity is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's a really important factor, I think. And those are great green flags. Absolutely. Yeah, you hit it right on the head with that summation. <laughs> and I just wanted to add to that real quick, Jen, because I, I liked how you pointed out it's sometimes there is imbalance and it's about like higher ups kind of recognizing that because not everything can be solved with just like a pizza party and some thank you cards. <laughs> it's It's just... I think it's really important to recognize that the work can be chaotic and stressful, but having someone in your corner who recognizes that, appreciates the work you're doing, and lets you know that this is a short-term, not a long-term thing is really, really important. But that being said, what are some of the red flags that may come up in an organization, something that shows you that this organization is not practicing what they preach at all? Yeah, yeah. So red flags, uh, just to look at kind of the opposite of everything that I just said, right? Secrecy, um, not really looping your staff in to what's going on behind the scenes. 
And of course, that's always a balance. But when management is so tight lipped about everything, uh, that can feel like a really toxic environment for staff. Um, profit over people. Unfortunately, that does happen in the social work world and in the mental health world. And that's probably the biggest red flag that I could see um, and have seen in the work that I've done, because that really is all encompassing. If profit is your main goal, you are not going to care about the product that you are giving to your clients. You are not going to care about your staff or their well-being. You are only going to care about that money rolling in. So that is that is the biggest red flag that I can name. Um, just to name some other ones, I think, you know, as you said, Tanvi, just that one-off appreciation, right? We really don't care about you day to day, but here's a pizza party. So you'll keep working 12 hour days, if you will. Um, so that's another big red flag there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Just the biggest thing that I see is that the whole profit over people, it really just makes for organization or agency that's not sustainable, right? And so you are having like this burnout of your staff and your clients aren't happy. And then it's just the turnover and the turnover. And it's how much you can get out of it instead of how long is this going to last? And I mean, there are so many things that say lasting um, efforts are going to contribute better along the way, right? So it's those things that we should invest in is the sustainability of the organization and agency. And by doing that, it's respecting your team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so what are some of the things that made you feel supported throughout your career? I mean, um, and that can be in one particular step or instance that you remembered or just overall, what is something that has been supporting you throughout your journey? Yeah, so there's definitely been a few things that I can think about. One thing that's so important to me um, in my work is to have what I call supportive or supported autonomy. So a supervisor that trusts me, that knows that I can do the work um, and is invested in me growing and doing that work to the best of my ability. So giving me that independence to flourish and grow, but also being there as a support in the background um, or the forefront when I need them. So that's been something that's worked personally for me and my work style. And um, there's also been a lot of little things, um, something that I didn't really talk about in Green Flags too is those supervisors or those agencies that really prioritize our mental health as well, which sounds like a given when you work in that sphere, but it really isn't always. Um, and working through COVID, I thankfully had a very supportive supervisor at the time who would really allow um, for all of us to have space um, when, you know, maybe family members were sick or we had deaths in the family that were unexpected, you know, these really big moments in our lives and being supported through those because we are not just social work machines, we're people too. And Jen, I just want to add to that real quick because you did bring yeah. up COVID and we we saw a lot of the burnout that happened with COVID and I think it's interesting to see companies or organizations, I should say, start to recover from it now. And I feel like it says a lot 
about the organization on how they're recovering from it. It's are they did they retain a lot of staff? Did they end up um, hiring a bunch of new staff with just different expectations? Like, I think it's really interesting to see the changes because that was a COVID was a devastating event that no one had expected to happen. And it affected everyone in social work and Mm -hmm. any kind of care industry. So I think in that recovery period, it shows a lot about how an organization chooses to move forward. Absolutely. We're really in uncharted waters here as we have been for the last three plus years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the whole idea that the care that we do is a lot of it is mental health driven, right? And um, trauma informed and person centered. And it, it is really shocking to see some of the agencies that were around that don't prioritize that because it's not just like a a couple of things happen throughout your life, right? Sometimes a lot of life happens at once and that's kind of what we dealt with um, in the past couple of years. So, you know, seeing if that organization can handle that a lot of life moment for you, then I think that really shows you um, if you can grow with them or if it's, um, if you're a number, just to be, you know, pretty direct about that. So it's it's definitely clear um, after big situations like this, so... And Jen, I am I am kind of curious because because you've worked both as like a clinician as well as kind of more in that supervisory management director role. Yes. How does support look like across all those roles as you move kind of I guess higher up on the mm-hmm. scale? Does mm-hmm. support from an organization look different in each? Like, if I can clarify just by yeah. using me, I know for me as like an individual clinician for me things that make me feel supported are having a team I can talk to Mm -hmm. having a supervisor that I can vent with and process with but I'm curious as how that kind of changes or stays the same as you kind of climb higher up yeah that's a great question uh I think that for me at least it really has stayed the same you know that that team aspect as you just talked about is so important and having that supportive supervisor and having those core agency values, because if we feel misaligned with the agency that we're working for, whether we are a paraprofessional or an intern or a fresh graduate from, you know, um, with our ASW or a seasoned LCSW or manager or director, if we're misaligned with what we're doing or what our agency is doing, that's going to be a big red flag. So I think for me anyway, support has, or the support that I've needed throughout the years has stayed the same. It's just maybe looked a little different in the delivery as I've gotten to that director role. Yeah, thank you for sharing on that because that was something that I was always curious about because it's usually the director supporting me. So I'm like, what happens when, they, when they're when they higher up? Who's supporting them? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully there should be, unless you're at the tippy top CEO, founder and president, someone should be supporting you. Um, but kind of bringing it back to red flags, thinking about those, can you speak to maybe one instance where you wish you had set maybe boundaries sooner or even just firmer boundaries once you started to see some of the things that were happening? Absolutely. Uh, I would say that there was a period of time where I really had absolutely no balance. 
I was working incredibly crazy hours. I was always on call. Um, I would get calls in the middle of the night. I would get have to work on a Saturday at 10.30 p.m. and then Sunday morning again. And uh, it was not sustainable to say the least. And unfortunately, in that specific instance, I didn't feel like I could set boundaries because I had come to feel very unsafe in um, the environment uh, that, yeah, at the job that I was at at the time. So my boundary was leaving <laughs> because I didn't feel like there was change that could happen um, because the boundaries that I did try and set were not respected or not met with any kind of um, genuine concern or change. So when it got to that point, I didn't feel safe setting a boundary. So my boundary was to move on. And and thank you for speaking to that, because I feel like maybe it's just because of the type of people social workers are, like we're all empathetic and we're tenacious and mm-hmm. we want to keep doing the work we're doing. But if it comes at the cost of ourselves, sometimes it's better just to just to abandon ship. And so thank you for, for speaking to that. Cause I know there's probably someone out there who is thinking the same thing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that because that was one of the hardest decisions I had ever made because I really did care so much about my team and our clients and prioritizing myself was not easy. I think that goes back to what I said at the beginning with green flags is that the workload is not always balanced. But if you know that your agency or your supervisor is working to make change, then there is a period, I think, that we can be tenacious and we can move through it. And that was not the case in this situation. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I feel that, like you said, Tanvi and Jen, that when a lot of it comes down to you and your heart and wanting to stay and caring, it can really it can be a skill, but also sometimes a barrier to yourself, right, to set those boundaries. Because I think I've said this before, but especially, I'm going to speak on myself, I have a lot of self-belief, right? And so sometimes that self-belief, it's great. I mean, I know that I can accomplish things and things are accomplishable, but sometimes that self-belief holds me back from saying this is not manageable for one person or like I can't do this situation by myself. But then it's that internal battle, I think, saying, uh, no, I'm capable, but it doesn't say anything about you not being capable if you have to leave a situation. You know, if anything, you're really brave for that. And um, you're really powerful. And having that like strength to be able to step away from something that's no longer serving you is a really good skill. So you could have done the job, but the skill is in knowing where to step back. And that's um, really powerful too. So definitely great. Uh, Can you actually, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Can you speak about um, an instance maybe where you were glad you had set your boundaries or stuck to your boundaries? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in thinking about that question, examples that are coming up for me are really around client care. And it's funny that we're talking about, you know, our own self-care and it's so much harder to set that boundary for us. And when, you know, a client really needs that advocacy, it's so easy to jump in and set those boundaries. Uh, and some ex- instances I'm, I'm thinking of or with programs that I've managed, 
if I feel like a certain directive is not client-centered that's coming down the pipes. Um, and there's a few instances in mind, then it's been very easy for me to, to jump in and set that boundary and advocate for client care that we are not going to be doing that. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause I, I realized that in myself too, where it's like, it's so easy to stick up for the clients and for everyone else. And then when it's me, I'm just sitting here and I'm like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> but that's definitely a skill that I think is, is really important to learn as, as I graduate and join professional workplace and I'm sure there's a lot of other grad students in the same boat too especially because we're maybe not not as experienced so we're more determined to prove ourselves and more determined to bend over backwards and we shouldn't have to do that absolutely Um, yeah and I think that's definitely a skill that is evolving over time and a, a skill that I've gotten a lot better at over the years and I can still improve so it's, it's something that when you're first coming out of grad school, there's probably a lot of opportunity there and that's completely normal. Yeah, I think that especially in this grad school opportunity, I'm really realizing that this is a really big time to be able to take some of those leaps and, um, you know, in advocating for others, um, it does take a little bit of that strength, right? And that, um, knowledge that not all confrontation is bad confrontation. You can be speaking up for somebody and that could be really healthy. So thank you again so much for sharing um, those experiences. Of course. Any final words regarding like looking for a good organization that's a good fit for you, supportive? Yeah, I think Something that I would say is don't be afraid to ask a lot of questions in the interview. You are as much choosing an agency as they are choosing you. And trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. You know, we are all in this field because we are intuitive people and we can read other people very well. So use that skill in your interview and ask a lot of questions to make sure it's a good fit for you. Yeah, just a last little piggyback on that. The intuitive people part, I totally get that. I mean, I um, was really hesitant when I was doing the job fair and every, or the internship fair, excuse me, and everything and thinking maybe I have a bad judge of character. Maybe it just didn't feel approachable because I'm coming off as not approachable. Maybe there's something about me, but um Again, it's just like believing that you are capable and that you have a lot to contribute. And um, if it feels right, it'll match up with you. And what's meant for you will happen and be yours. So definitely that um, intuitive nature is is important to follow. I, I definitely want to echo both those points as I've learned the hard way that if something is not a good fit, it's not a good fit. It's not about you. You don't need to prove anything. You can just move forward because at some point you will be putting in more into something than it will be giving to you and that's okay that's okay for you to walk away in that situation um but yeah so we kind of asked Jen already what her takeaway is but Jess what about you what do you think after having this conversation with this amazing insightful woman (laughs) you know yeah so many things I mean my mind is just um it's really all over the place in all of these topics of analyzing if your agency is good for you um, and just 
going with your gut is a big takeaway that I have from this. I mean, luckily, I can say that that's totally true for me at the moment. I went with my gut with my internship and they've been awesome. And um, really looking forward to finding more things that I feel like align with me and my values and um, where my heart is at and where my head is ready to be challenged in. And so I think, yeah, my biggest takeaway is go with your gut. Listen to yourself. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Tonvi, what about your takeaway? I want to hear about the biggest thing you've taken away from this conversation. I see you pondering over there. So what uh, what it's on your mind? Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is just being okay with what I am professionally, what I offer, because I'm the type of person where I'll go into something and I'll ignore all the red flags because I'll make it all about me. And it's not, it's not. There are many people out there like me who are going to do the exact same thing. And if I could warn you, I will. Don't do it. It's not about you. (laughs) Sometimes it's just about recognizing that something is not a good fit for you and that's okay. And you can walk away. That doesn't say anything about you says it just comes down to trusting your gut and believing in yourself and trusting that you have enough intuition and professional ability to do this, but that doesn't mean you have to. Then any final words for maybe people from San Jose State who are graduating and going to be entering the workforce soon? Yeah, I would say be easy with yourself, be kind to yourself. This is a huge transition. You are transitioning from going 150 million miles a minute and doing everything at once to just quote unquote, having a job. (laughs) And there's a lot of transition and grief sometimes around, you know, losing that being in school, being a student, and now you're entering the workforce as a full-fledged social worker. So be easy with yourself be kind to yourself. And again, trust your gut. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Great insight from both of you. Um, Jen, you've been wonderful to talk to. And I hope that we can continue this conversation in other ways and pick your brain about organizational structure and um, just everything that you've moved through. I'm sure there are so many more things that we could say and um, maybe for another episode. So <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm I'm always available. I think it's so important to be there for the next generation of social workers and help support because we are an amazing field. We are full of amazing people and supporting one another is so important. Thank you so, so much, Jen, for joining us. This was a really important issue. We've been wanting to talk about this for a while. So thank you so much for sitting down with us and speaking about it. Um, For the listeners, stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to do some announcements courtesy of Swixa, and then you'll get to hear from us, me and Jess, on what drew us to social work. For our listeners, here's some upcoming events brought to you by Swigsa. From November 14th to 15th, Swigsa will be fundraising with Phil's Coffee. When you go get coffee at Phil's right across from campus, be sure to show them your Swigsa flyer and be sure to put your receipt in the Swigsa jar. You can find the flyer on the Swigsa socials in your SJSU email 
or in Canvas under General Announcements. And then on November 17th, there's a Friendsgiving potluck dinner. This is open to all SJSU staff, alumni, family, and friends. Join us for a night of food and great company, and be sure to RSVP by the 13th. There's more details about this event in your SJSU email and in Canvas under General Announcements. Now, back to the main episode. Welcome back. Thank you for staying tuned again. We are your hosts, Tanvi and Jess. Say hi, Jess. Hi. Um, today, we wanted to explore some of the reasons why we, both of us, got into social work. Um, you've heard from us about our experience in grad school, as well as other students. We thought it might be kind of nice if you heard from us what drew us to the field to begin with. Keep in mind that our experiences are not universal. Um, we are both SJSU students and in the field of social work. So while some things may translate across all people who are going into social work, this may not be representative of your experience and that's okay. Experiences you have are meant to be individualized and specialized to you. With that being said, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, Tommy, how did you find out about the field of social work? I mean, I always knew I wanted to do mental health. I always knew I wanted to do something related to mental health. Um, in my undergrad, I ended up joining a psychology lab that dealt with foster youth and adaptation and resilience. It was really interesting. And my professor was the only clinical psychologist on like all of campus. So when I was, she was also a great counselor when it came to like grad school applications, career stuff she was just such a guiding person for me so when I was telling her like I wanted to do something related to mental health but I I didn't know what was next for me she brought up social work for me because she was like I think that social workers make great clinicians because they just have a good understanding of the stuff around them and you seem like a problem solver you seem like you'd be really good at it and I was like okay (laughs) and now here I am What about you, Jess? Wow, yeah. You know, it's funny because I do feel like I was also influenced um, by somebody uh, prior to knowing what social work was. So I guess starting from the beginning, I um, had was very fortunate to have the ability to be a part of a couple of different um, community service organizations. And, uh, you know, they were holistic and all about the needs of the certain communities that we'd work with instead of what we thought that they needed. And um, I did that in medical, dental, and public health volunteering. Uh, And I got to go to a couple few places that were, you know, out of the country, and I thought they were really cool. And um, just as a volunteer for a few years, but I just thought that, you know, there may be something more. And I know that this uh, life of service is something that I really enjoyed. And Um, I didn't really know that that was possible until I was working in the clinical side at an occupational health clinic. And um, we had a social worker who was mostly uh, related or directly involved in HR. And she kind of told me what she did and what what she was interested in. And um, I asked her if community service kind of fit into that. And she said, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of social worker need because uh, you are directly related to the community and you're a good resource for them. So 
I looked into it, didn't commit into it until about like three years after I worked there, but it kind of always stuck with me. And once I started really digging deep into what a social worker can do and just this broad range of possibilities, I really got hooked into the idea of um, committing myself to like service for others. So yeah, that's kind of a little of how I started. That's really fascinating. I, I think it, it shows that like you had this strong inclination to to assist others. And I think that's really powerful. I'm kind of curious, what would you say to people who who know they want to help people, who know that they want to be of service? What would you say to them to tell them like social work might be a good fit for them? Because there's lots of careers in helping people. But what about social work specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. So something that I would say, just from my own personal experience, um, somebody that wants to provide service to others or to be um, a role model in the community is just to follow your passion. You know, it's true. There are so many different fields that you can help others. What I would say for someone interested in wanting to help others and making that a full-time career, really look into social work because there's so many different levels of ways that you can help um, individuals and that translates into their communities and that translates into something bigger like policy, you know. If it feels right to your heart, I would definitely say look into social work because you could just, from what I think, you can just do so much with it um, and I'm excited to kind of jump into that, you know? I mean, and that kind of brings me to a question I had for you, Tanvi, is, as you know, there are so many different ways to help people, and there's so many different ways you could be involved in social work. So there's the micro, individual level, right, and the mezzo, small communities and groups, um, and macro, just policy work and change and lobbying. Um, do you like one of those more than another? Yeah, I think to preface this, this is my own personal view on what I like more. I prefer doing micro work. And that's not to say that mezzo or macro work isn't valuable. It's quite the opposite. It is actually very valuable and much needed in the field. I just think that with bigger scale issues or bigger scale communities, you need a lot more resilience to keep working. And it takes a very special person to find the fulfillment in that. And I am not that person. So as much as I want to, I want to help people and assist people. I'm also someone who, if I keep running into the same barriers over and over and over again, I'm not going to get any fulfillment from that. And that's what really drew me to micro work because you end up seeing kind of the progression of your client, or you end up seeing like, changes and you see how you yourself are affecting them despite everything else going around them and I think that's kind of selfish but also a a really nice feeling and that's just what fulfills me in social work what about you Jess micro meso macro Mm, you know you bring up a really good point just about seeing the changes I think that it's um you can definitely see that a little clearer uh day to day right whereas macro would be really on the um, the large scale changes with the policy work and everything like that. So I, I totally get what you mean. That I think does bring a sense of fulfillment in me, but I think, you know, I've always been really community driven. So I think mezzo is something, mezzo work working with small groups is something that I really wanna pursue and just kind of continue to be 
like a, a role model within my community and within also communities that um, may have needed the things that I needed when I was in them. And I think that you bring up such a good point that you should really follow one of the ones or all of the ones that you feel fulfillment in. Um, I think they all do intertwine with each other, but it is true when you're finding your career and your passions, you know, as to what is something that you can see yourself in for a while. And it's not, maybe it's not going to be the same thing in the next five years or 10 years. You might be lobbying in the next 10 years when I ask you, but I think for committing to what fulfills you now is the most important thing and running with that. So yeah, I think it's mezzo for me. That is definitely such an interesting point, Jess, because you're absolutely right. Like what fulfills me now is probably not what's going to fulfill me five, seven, ten years from now. The field of social work is so broad and I feel like the more in-depth you go into it, the easier it is to find other things that just might be a better fit for you that you didn't even know existed. Because you can think that things are going great and then you get introduced to this other thing and then that all of a sudden excites you. But just to kind of touch back on micro, meso, and macro, while we each have our own preferences, I think that really good and like adept social workers have a good knowledge base of each of them. Like I don't think any any micro worker is just going to only think about the individual. I think they're going to think about the individual in the context of their community and the bigger issues that are affecting them in order to like best serve them. Yeah, definitely. Um I think it's one of those those things that um if you feel that this is a place that you fit into providing that uh, assistance or resource or just empowering that person or that community or the agency that you're with, you know, I think it's uh, where do you feel that you uh, fit in well with that. And so, yeah, I, I think a good social worker is a little well-rounded with all of those, right? And I think that we can kind of get a little bit of that while we're in internship. It's like, a, it's nice that we get to be able to fulfill some of those hours throughout school because we see direct individuals, right? But we also see how the community interacts with them. And so that's kind of what I've been learning in my internship so far is that there can be a lot of meso practices that are meant to assist the individual in micro practices, right? So they all play a part in each other. Do you feel that your school-based experience and internship experience has shaped your view on why you like micro so much more? Yeah, I, I think for sure. I... I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know this about me because I don't shut up about it, but I majored in neuroscience. Um, and I remember as I was interviewing for my first year internship, something that I had said so casually kind of kind of resonated really deeply with me more as I as I thought about it more. Cause I think I remember on my resume, people always see the neuroscience and they're like, neuroscience, what are you doing in social work? And my answer is always like, neuroscience and social work are actually very very similar because both of them just deal with systems in neuroscience you're just looking at one thing and you're like oh okay so if this hormone is affecting this hormone then that means this hormone is affecting this part and then this part is going to create this response tell me how that is different than social work because replace the word hormone with issue and it's the exact same thing 
Whoa. Yeah, that's true. You've just blown my mind. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I mean, because everything, it's cascading, right? So the systems that are in place affect the community and that community can affect the experience of the individual and then all the way back the other way, right? So yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's true. If you replace the word issue with a hormone, then same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the scale that you think of things in neuroscience is just really widely applicable to just social issues in general, because it's also interconnected. And it's all just learning like reactions and how each thing affects each other. Being taught to think that way for four years, it really gives me a perspective in social work that I, I haven't seen a lot. Granted, my experience in social work is limited. Like I've been in this program for two years. So take that with a grain of salt. But that school experience really does shape my view on things, especially in my internship. My first year internship was at a psychiatric hospital. You want to talk about systems, go to a psychiatric hospital because you see people there who are, you see people there who are struggling with homelessness. You see people there who are struggling with basic welfare needs, just all sorts of things. And then on top of that, it's like, well, no wonder you're in a psychiatric hospital because you're struggling with every little aspect of your life because the system has been put against you. Yeah, it's just, you see all that. You see the intersectionality of everything. And I just, that definitely influences why I do micro work because going up against everything else is such a big issue, but at least I can help one person through one thing, which is kind of a bleak view on it. I agree, but it's how I think of it. No, that's a great point. As far as just your, I mean, you said both in your school and internship experience, it's like your schooling experience from your undergrad really influenced your experience now in your graduate studies and also your internship. That's like a really hands-on experience and you can apply so much of that knowledge altogether into there, right? And so for me, what that sounds like is that it's not just the educational experience that you had prior, but it's a lot of the lived experience, you know? And I think that lived experience is something that we don't give credit to a lot of the time when we think of what is going to make me a good figure in this field. It's, well, you may have seen some things or been in some situations or been in a place where um, you can relate to a whole different population now. And so lived experience is definitely something coming before and throughout and after school that is going to be the most helpful for you, I think, you know, to grow and to better the lives of the people that you serve. So Tanvi, you are in your second year, as you mentioned, and again, Tomvi is in the two-year on-campus program. I'm in my second year out of the three-year part-time program. So Tomvi, this year you're graduating. I know we're kind of jumping ahead. We're almost done with the first semester, but how are you feeling about that? Are you preparing um, anything for graduation? Like, do you feel like you have it figured out or? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. 90% of the time I'm here anyway um, no I think I just feel like maybe it is because I, I am kind of new to the field like I don't have a lot of prior experience it's just the more I learn the more my options grow and the more I see like things that I could do or things that I should do or things that I want to do and it's just feels like the more I know the less I know somehow 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely a common theme of social work. Jess, I'm sure you've heard Dr. Lee say this over and over again, but like a social worker who thinks they know everything is like not a great social worker because you mm-hmm. need to be open and you need to see where your client's coming from and see things from their perspective and be open to the fact that you don't know everything and that's how you best serve because who are you to impose your views on on someone else right but um what about you Jess this is now this is your first year doing it with internship how are you feeling with that how how has your internship experience shaped your view just like you I feel like I have I do not have it figured out and I feel like figured out is very subjective I actually haven't heard a single person say that they've had their life figured out um and that includes um, relatives that are way older. So, I mean, that makes me feel a little better, you know, but I think, uh, yeah, my internship this year has been great. I'm interning for a school district and I have a lot of micro work in it and it's really hands-on. Like I knew that I liked being in the education system, but I also am very clinically driven. So it's been cool. I mean, it, it really is shaping my view as to, all the things that are lacking in the educational system that a lot of these educators want to provide, but maybe might not have the resources or they're just really spread thin because there's not enough people within the field to provide those services, even though they want to. And so I think it's giving me a really interesting view on, on that whole micro meso macro, how they all intertwine. So I am taking it a day at a time, trying to balance out the stress of school and um, work and and internship work and everything. But I'm definitely feeling like the most challenged I've ever been in like the healthiest way, you know. So um, it's been good. But again, I have zero figured out. I, I would like to to warn the listeners that we're also recording this in one of the busiest times of our semester. Yeah. So if our views sound at all depressing, to say the <laughs> least, or confused, that that probably adds a lot to it. We're just stressed out as students. But I think it was mm-hmm. kind of nice having this conversation because it, at least for me, it reminded me of why I did get into the field and what does motivate me and what, what my passion for this field is because it's it's pretty big, bigger than I thought. Um, yeah, it's been a good conversation. Just to kind of close us out, if you could say anything to a student who's, or even anyone who's kind of questioning whether or not they're in the right place, whether or not like social work really is a good fit for them, what would you say? Um, I know it's very vague to say, I always overuse this, but I say, um, what's meant for you will be yours, right? And so it's kind of vague because sometimes that's not the way that, you know, it goes with the resources that we have. But if somebody is questioning it, but there's just even just a little light pulling you back towards the field of social work, I mean, just look into it a little more, you know? Like it couldn't hurt to explore your options. And I know a bunch of my... Um, cohort members or other people or this is like their second career that they're interested in or their second time going through school for something else and so the door is never closed you know unless you close it yourself and so if you have even just a bit of interest to pursue it why not if you have the means and resources and you're able to 
do something and try it out and see if you like it or don't, just go for it. Yeah. What about you, Tanvi? Any words to close that out? Man, you said it so well. I, I think <laughs> you're right. It's it's so easy to be like tunnel visioned because I think in the field there is a, a lot of things that that weigh you down. There's a lot of things that just feel unsolvable, unfixable, unmanageable. But just taking it a little lighter and letting yourself go with the flow and letting the universe take you wherever it wants to take you. I think you'll find that your passion for the field, if you're already in it, will be reignited so much more quickly than you chasing after one thing to fix or solve. Or I know I say fix or solve. I'm not saying that the people we serve need fixing or solving. I just mean that we all gotten this because we want to do better by people. And I think rather than chasing after one concrete thing, it's kind of nice just to live in the experience and see what you are doing and appreciate that for a minute. Yes, very nice. Wow. Going to quote that on your graduation card. <laughs> we'll see if I still believe it by then. <laughs> you have a few months. <laughs> well, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to hear our experiences as well as hear the experiences of Jen, who spoke previously. We look forward to having you join us next time when we have a special episode about imposter syndrome and applying for stipends and some other things that might help make this experience a little easier for you. Cool. Thank you. Want to get in touch with the School of Social Work at San Jose State University? For general information, questions, and concerns, send an email to socialwork at sjsu.edu. Be sure to follow at SJSU Social Work on Instagram for news and updates. Also, keep an eye out in your SJSU email for the School of Social Work newsletter. Interested in learning more about the Social Work Graduate Student Association? Contact SWIGSA President Paula Quintanilla at swgsa.president at gmail.com or Vice President Christina Olivo at swgsa.vicepresident at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media by searching SJSU SWIGSA, that's S-J-S-U-S-W-G-S-A, to stay up to date with upcoming events, merch sales, and updates on graduation for our graduating classes. <laughs>